Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Um, man, Marie. Wow. Wow. From Things. the grim dystopia. Wow. The darkest from timeline. Truly, we join you. <laughs> truly the darkest timeline. Um, man, we rolled the dice and we got the darkest timeline. I can't, I can't believe that the same timeline <laughs> that has that crazy... Like KFC chicken sandwich with chicken is the beef and then all or is the meat and then also is the buns. Um, <laughs> could produce this it, horror as well. Could pro- yeah, I didn't. I never. I never would have thought. You know, it reminds me. So, listeners, we thought that. So we were we we did the series or a short. We did a shortened series on cults because, you know, it uh, ended up being a little dark, and we were like, you know what? Let's just check in with listeners. Let's see how they're doing. Because um, this is uh, our check in. This is our check-in episode. This is our and little our little home therapy. Yeah, you know, and we've had a lot of stuff uh, happen in the time since we last put out an episode. Um, and we thought we would just kind of talk a little bit about the effect of COVID on, you know, all of us, but then also on like the chemical industry generally too, because I think that's sort of interesting. Or in the engineering industry, yeah, um, which is a part of it that like hasn't. I don't know. You hear you hear about on the news like all this stuff about you know, COVID being bad and, you know, I mean, it is bad, right? We do not endorse COVID on this show. <laughs> We're um, not pro-COVID. Hmm. Can you tell I'm out of practice here a little bit, Marie? You yeah, know, I got to tell you, man, like I, I put my speakers on or I put my headphones on. I'm calling my headphones my speakers. I put them on upside down practically today. I'm all messed up. Yeah. So listeners, the main thing that's happened since, since last time we recorded is I moved. Yeah. Uh, across the United States, which was insane during COVID. A, it was pretty into a bunker. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, directly into a bunker in Waltham, Massachusetts. <laughs> Some <laughs> might call it a cul-de-sac. Um Yeah, it's uh it's been crazy. I mean, people it, the weirdest thing I think was seeing the different how different states are responding to COVID and seeing that effect on like the citizens and also just the the way that different parts of like towns operated and stuff. So I made a, I made a tweet about how um, in Wisconsin, in Janesville, no one was wearing a mask. And I was like, what, what is happening? And then I remembered that Janesville is like the place that, you know, the uh, what's it. It's the place that they pulled Paul Ryan out of a vat of goo with the heritage foundation, <laughs> you know, like where he emerged as like a conservative think tank leader. Um, So it's kind of, it kind of makes, I guess, you know, but, but then the rest of Wisconsin was totally normal and, you know, responsible. And I mean, Wisconsin's beautiful. I love Wisconsin. People are super nice there. Everything. It's just, it's like so jarring. It's so jarring seeing the difference between like one area and then another area and how local politics or even just like socioeconomic effects can, can affect the way that people are responding to the, the virus. Yeah. Um, and then in Indiana, we stumbled upon a pool party at our hotel. Oh God! Which was super normal. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was like, "What the hell is happening?" And we oh, like God. got into our room and we're just like chilling in the room and like, "Oh my God, I don't know what's going on out there." I uh, yeah, I um, I think it's like I know we try. Sometimes we try and avoid politics, and I know we have listeners that want us to avoid politics and and try to not be too overtly one way or the other but i do think that this is a really interesting time that science and scientifically proven hypothesis around covid and the prevention of covid have taken this turn into a almost like a moral or a philosophical and a political stance yeah you know, like i think that i do think we're going to address it i think we i think we need to because i think it's part of I think it's part of the story and I think it's going to be part of the more interesting thing looking back that is going to have emerged as something that people are going to be studying and talking about. Um, And then also, you know, talking just a little bit about the supply chain and um, I do some work with, uh, with PPE and the supply chain around PPE and just kind of, the craziness around that and just like the, you know, without getting into too much, too many details on it, but like just how it's affecting, how it affects um, everyone, like yeah. all of it. Well, not For all sure. of it. We've only got 45 minutes, but like, 
you know, the good parts. Yeah, no, really. Yeah, no, the really bad. And by the good part, she means the bad part. Jake, roll the tape. So poor, uh, poor Jake, he is like, he, I, I've been like, Jake, can you edit the episodes? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll edit them. And then he's like, there's no files online. <laughs> and it's and like, like and then, what do you mean you need files? Jake? Right. Just and then it takes them. me and then it takes, I thought you just made, I just made, thought you made the show by yourself now, Jake. I don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, just, it's been, yeah, I thought you just pieced together us and, um, and me being like, you know, like, yeah, I, I thought there was no, we don't make new content. We just, it's just rehashing of old stuff constantly. So it's totally fine. Um, so, you know, the one, the one really interesting thing that's been happening. So COVID obviously has affected sort of everyone's, um, day to day lives, right. In different ways, yeah. but it's also really affected the scientific communities, especially. And in, and, kind, you know, the way that that's really been affecting it or one of the ways that it's been affecting it, and I shouldn't see especially because really, if I, I, I don't know. I mean, what would you think has been the hardest hit sort of? Oh, man. Well, it's it's hard to tell because it's like I, I do think. OK, so um, like meatpacking, there was mm-hmm. something I did not think was going to be affected by COVID. Um, right. I mean, that's yeah. a huge, that's a pretty huge sector in American economy, or at least a portion of the American economy. And because if you think about that, I would never associate that with, um, one of the things that would be almost immediately impacted by a pandemic. Well, you, but, yeah, you never, you never, you, it's one of those things that I think, we, well, I think, yeah, I think we, we don't, you don't really associate it with that, but I think also it's one of those things we take for granted. Yes. You know, yes. like, oh, of course, like meat, you know, I currently live, well, I mean, you know, growing up in New York City, it's like, you know, hamburger meat or steak or whatever was never really hard to get in the grocery store. Oh. And I just always assumed there were cows someplace, but never, you know, like in your brain, you're never like, oh, how do the, how does all that meat get to me? And it's like, oh, there's right. a tremendous industry that does it all and brings it from right. upstate or Jersey or, you know, wherever, right? Or wherever, wherever there's a meat packing industry, the, the one um, they were talking about now that there's like six major ones. One of them is in Colorado. Um, and that was one of the ones that was hardest hit. And it's just the conditions and the um, the lack of preparedness and the lack of PPE that affected and just sort of decimated the workforce. Mm. And I also do think it's one of those things that's underreported and almost under uh, uh, overlooked entirely. Well, it still, yeah, it still yeah. doesn't. It still at least doesn't feel like it's really. I think for a lot of people in terms of their day to day lives, and at least this is yeah. true. I know for me as yeah. well the thing that feels like it's been the most affected is like school kids. Yes. You know, cause they're, cause they're just constantly present. And so, I mean, I don't have kids, but like I have neighbors. And so, you know, <laughs> yes. you can, you can tell like, it's just different. It feels different that yes. everyone is home, including the kids. Um, oh my God. Yes. But, but at the same time, like you said, they're kind of not, it's more of a silent. Um, it's those parts of the economy or parts of the industry, parts of industry that we don't really consider that are really, I think, having the biggest impact on them. And of course, yeah. like, I'm, and we're not talking about deaths or anything. Like, it seemed, you know, clearly no, from we'll, the statistics. We'll get, we'll get to that fun one later. I was going to say, like, yeah. clearly from the statistics, the 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 hardest hit populations are minority communities in generally underserved areas. You know, yes, um, yes. And it seems like part yes. of that. I I kind of wonder personally if part of that right now is not. I'm wondering as the caseloads increase and explode in other areas, like in the Midwest or in the South, yes. if that doesn't start to hit more spread. Yeah. Spread like, other... like, yeah. If it doesn't, if it, I think it still will be, probably be predominantly Socio-economic a socioeconomic areas. thing yeah. as opposed to a racial thing. Yeah. But well, yeah. Anyways, the, but the challenge I think, or the, at least from my perspective. So Marie, Marie works in kind of healthcare adjacent or like, I think directly in healthcare really I don't think adjacent is the right word, but so Marie works in healthcare and then I work, I work in sort of like engineering and big um, engineering, manufacturing, chemistry, science, you know, the science world, you know, and specifically the information and analytics world. And our industry has been really affected. And it's an interesting 
it's been interesting seeing or hearing from people and connections and folks that I know who work at kind of major chemical companies or major engineering firms and talking to them and hearing them say, oh, you know, well, we haven't been in the lab in five months. Yeah. And so thinking kind of how that will affect um, how that will affect work, how that will affect progress, progress. Kind of find it. Yeah. Like I, progress you know. itself. You know, it's, it almost feels like, I mean, I wonder, I was thinking of this the other day that it would be kind of interesting to go back and look at the, um, if there's been any studies and I'm sure there have been on kind of the effect that previous plagues have had on science. Yeah. So, you know, there's like this idea that the middle ages created or the dark ages, I guess, created this, um, complete lapse in science in Europe. You know, we lost a lot of, we lost a lot of information. We kind of regressed back. And so the middle East and Asia, uh, sort of continued developing <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, so it's sort of an interesting, um, and we caught up eventually. And then, you know, um, through trade and everything else, like things became somewhat, somewhat even. And then, you know, uh, till today's world, I guess. I wonder though, if there's ever been a case like this where it's kind of a worldwide or a global impact. Yeah. And like I'm thinking like I'm thinking like a, I'm thinking like a volcanic eruption or like you know what I mean like a thousand some year flood of, or some sort of um yeah some sort of seismic event that just ex- freezes everything yeah like some yeah exactly no really literally right and that's kind of the I argument I do feel like it's frozen yeah that's the argument for the dark ages yeah. too is that there was like supposedly this volcanic eruption that or that was a theory and it's been I don't know if it's really the dark ages but um there was a volcano in like Java that exploded mm-hmm. and it, or that, that ignited, I should say, not really explode. I guess it did explode, but it, it erupts. It, it, erupts. it erupts and Hello. it shot, it shot a huge plume of volcanic ash in the atmosphere and it like lowered temperatures by three degrees or something. And it led to tremendous famine and death across like the entire world. Right. And so I'm wondering if like in that year, like I think it was like 12, I don't know, 1250, 1280, some, somewhere around there. I'm wondering if there was a noted, I don't know. It's so hard though, because today we measure everything. Well, but I mean, the metrics, like their survival and their science would be <clears throat> slightly a different, you know, a different skew than what we're looking at now. I mean, I think it's arguable, like, again, like, okay, so a bunch of people are going to die. Um, it's going to become much harder to live. It's going to become much harder to find food and find resources. Um, but the things to enable finding food and finding resources, the tools are going to be harder to develop during that, that phase as well. So it's sort of like the tools to support life become slower to develop. I would almost look at just like the science now, like scientific development, things that are, you know, that you need a group of people working together in a well-supported, in a well-supported environment to make, any kind of real progress, those those things are going to be slowed down significantly too, right? I mean, because yeah. that's just not happening because we're not there. We we can't do that. I think that that's those are those are kind of roughly the equivalent. I don't know. I mean, now it's like what is it Moore's law where everything is faster by X percent over X time, but still there there are things that you can't speed up. Like you can't speed up scientific discovery. You can't speed up to a certain extent, right? Because you have to have a process to be able to test things and understand things. Yeah. You physically, and be able to think about things. Right. No, you, you physically can, you physically cannot be in the lab or as many people can't be in the lab or machines are being, you know, there's a science is kind of a finite. Um, there's a finite amount of stuff. And then just like people are having trouble with PPE right. getting that um, a lot of the kind of feedstock oh chemicals God, yeah that you'd normally use, those are becoming scarcer because people are shifting to the production of PPE instead. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, which has been, which is kind of interesting. So it's, it's weird. I, I, I don't think we, I don't think we recognize the effect this will have on kind of, you know, I've seen it. Yeah. Industries, the sciences. Yeah. We, we haven't seen it. The other thing that's been happening. So in, in kind of, I guess a positive way or one interesting development, I think is company is shifting to, the idea that like we don't really need all these people to be working in an office. <laughs> we don't need asses and seats. At yeah, a like we, time we right, to be like we legitimately 
What? It, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter if all the work you do is online and on a computer. It, it doesn't really seem to matter if you're doing it from the office or doing it from home because you actually tend to work harder from home. I think that this is a huge, weird paradigm shift. As yeah. someone who's worked for corporations where the expectation is you are there in a, at a certain time and you are um, sort of judged by how long you're th- how early you get there, yeah. how late you stay there. And it only really matters if your manager or even your manager, manager's manager sees people present to be actively engaged and managed. Like I'm not a boss unless I can see the people that I am bossing is sort of, I think been the past mentality with a lot of corporations. Yeah. Right? If that I, person's not there, I'm not managing them. I don't know what they're doing, which is a huge, just a huge falsity in my head too. It's completely stupid because it's like, well, you it's can't so manage stupid. them from there. Like, are you kidding me? Noom <laughs> manages me every single day. I've never even seen the lady who's my Noom coach. You know what I mean? But she's like, you've been eating donuts again, fatty. What are you doing? It's like, oh, God, no. I've made Melissa upset. No, but really, though, you're right, though. I think it is kind of a paradigm shift. And I'm I'm honestly, I wonder. It's an ego shift, too, because I think, again, like what we think of leadership and what we think of management and what we think of like success means my direct ability to influence others. But that is not, you know, and I, I, I honestly have seen that in other workplaces and, you know, just the idea of working from home was scoffed at. In corporations that I worked at, I would say less than, less than a decade ago, right? So it's like all of a sudden this comes and it just breaks, it hard breaks all of that. And it's like nobody can come into the office. Yeah, but you know what, though? It's one of those things. So it's funny. I, at first, so I used to work for a company. Mm-hmm. Where being there physically didn't matter how much work you got done. It really mm-hmm. it did not matter at all how much work you got done. Right. What mattered was, yeah, are you at your desk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just kind of being there physically? You can know? I, as a boss, can I find you? Do I right. know where exactly, you are? Exactly, yeah. Can I ask you a question? If I call your desk, will you be there to answer the phone? Exactly. You know? Um, and even and even if you if if the building was on fire. And you were like not at your desk because you were putting out the fire. They'd be like, yeah, but, you know, like we pay you to be at your desk. Which is the famous acronym, right? We pay you to be here. Yeah, which exactly. Is such we, we pay you to be here. Now, bullshit. oh, see, okay, but here's the thing that Marie, as the cynical, um, as the cynical determinist that I am, mm. okay, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, what? I wonder mm-hmm. if, Ultimately, the trade-off for convenience of Uh working from home versus privacy and sanctity of your home, Uh is that, is it worth it? That there's sort of a separation of church and state, like. Well, yeah. So what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is now maybe you don't, maybe now you work, like companies, companies are going to, by nature, take as much as they can of your work and capital away from you mm-hmm. right like that's just and that's it's not it's not like negative or evil or anything it's just the way that they're built like they want to maximize profits and that's what they're right. designed to do no you i'm know? just giggling because it was like okay about how many minutes in and we got to the marxist i know i'm sorry yeah. no but, no no, no. it's know. awesome it's awesome because i was headed there too no yeah. no 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 but i mean if, if people who listen to us they're like what not a single marxist reference already or you guys don't it's feel well on. you are out of practice god this guy over here loves his company all of a sudden. So the um, <laughs> and, and corporate I, shell. Honestly, I Ooh, legitimately, I legitimately do kind of love the company I work for right now because they're European yes. and they seem to get it a lot better than any American company I ever worked for. But anyways, um, but you know, what, you know, I, I'm just wondering, like, okay, so you don't you don't have to physically be there for eight hours a day, right? Right. So we're just going to assume. And I know this is happening in my company too. And we normally work from home, mm-hmm. but suddenly the people who are working from home, newly working from home and haven't had that kind of cultural shift for themselves. Uh-huh. I'm getting emails on the weekend. I'm getting emails at night. I'm getting emails um, <laughs> out of nowhere. And right. you feel, you kind of feel like, well, I should probably answer this. Right. And I, I saw a thing on Twitter that that was really funny. Uh, I forget who tweeted it, but they're famous enough. I'm sure already. Cause it was retweeted like a billion times. I mean, famous, you know, whatever they've been retweeted. They've gotten accolades for the tweet. Um, 
they they said it. I don't think we should call it working from home. I think we should call it living at work. <laughs> and that's and I, but I think that's a legitimate. I think it's a legitimate problem. Um, well, I think it's a, again. I think it's a paradigm shift that's going to have to come with some rules, right? Because I think that that's. I do think that that's the case. I think the one weird thing about my working from home that I've seen is for calls that like before have just all been uh, just just teleconference calls, right? All of a sudden, everyone's like, well, hey, and I've, no, I've never seen these people, right? They, they work in other states. We've only had, like, may, we'll maybe see one another face-to-face once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll have, like, monthly calls with 14 different people, 20 different people, whatever it is, right? And we all call in. Now they're all like, hey, we would like for you guys to turn your cameras on so we can see you. And I'm sort of like, wait up. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've never seen it. One, we've never seen each other before, which is okay, right? Because again, it's like, you don't have to see me to know that I'm here. I can understand. I can understand the physical. You've seen physical cues. You can see people nodding. I get all that science. I get all that behind it. It's more this like sort of reaction to what's happening. And the funny thing is, it's like, y'all don't want to see me now, okay? Because I am scary. <laughs> I'm angry. I, I haven't had a haircut. I'm yeah. So frightening right now. But the, and the, the one thing that's sort of like that I think is really ironic about this is like so many people I know and what I have done is I put a sticker over my camera because I was reacting to another cultural shift, which was privacy. Right. Like if you leave your camera on, somebody remotely can come in and be able sure. to access and see it. So everyone I know for a certain period of time, not like less than two years ago stickered over it as, you know, especially at work, stickered over it. So I tried to peel off that sticker and it's like, oh, you can't, there's like, that's done. <laughs> so I physically done can't forever. do that yeah. now. And everyone's like, well, but they'll be like, well, it'll be so nice to see you, Maria. I mean, I feel like we haven't seen you in so long. And I'm like, y'all, first of all, like I said, you don't want to see me. And second of all, like, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to have the bookshelf and stuff behind me. Like I'm not camera ready. Like you see on uh, CNN and MSNBC and all the news channels. Now everybody's all decked out with the professional looking backdrops and I'm scary looking. And even if I could do it, I can't. Well, the thing, the right, you physically cannot cause you've ruined physi- your la- work laptop. I've ruined my work um, laptop. Right. It's fine. Which is Sweet. fine. Um, no, but I, I do think it's a legit concern. I mean, you know, when does it go from, like, okay, for those companies that do really care about seeing the butts in the seats or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Do they start recording you full time, right? While you're at work, do you, is there an app where you turn on your work computer and it turns your camera on and it measures if you're there or not, right? Which is crazy, right? But, that but is not, crazy, but but not out of the not, realm of possibility. You know exactly what I mean? It. That's exactly um, it. What about stuff like, you know, we have the ability on computers to measure active time, right? Like how much time are you moving your mouse or how much time are you Mm -hmm. um, typing or doing things, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Does that start being the model since you're not physically in the office? Um, So what do you, you know, as soon as companies, as soon as somebody has the app for that, there's another app that can cheat it. Right. Sure. But yeah, there's your inventiveness. There's your social progress right there. But you know what I'm like, I guess I guess my my worry or my concern is for those jobs. It also seems like it is further building the. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories and all things paranormal? We do, too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky. If suddenly all of the high paid workers, all of the people who work middle class jobs, all the people who work kind of if you think about like the the column or the the stratification of work anywhere, right? Uh-huh. You have the people who are kind of, you know, like minimum wage workers doing jobs that are considered like 
those are the jobs you have to physically be there for. Yes. Right. Yes. And the, the ones that mostly are doing kind of like service industry work, like, you know, or technology work Essential. or engineering yeah. work or whatever, all of those yeah. are ones that can be decentralized and done at home on a laptop or a powerful oh, computer, right? I meant to say the essential work is the work you actually have to physically be there. Like the people that are physically there now. During yeah, ex- the exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but, so I'm one, but I'm wondering, or what I'm wondering though is as those essential, and even within the essential workers mm-hmm. though, there's a stratification, right? There's people who can afford cars and people yeah. who can't afford cars, right? Yeah. My my wonder or my kind of question is if we do shift to all working from home, mm-hmm. suddenly what is the incentive to making public transportation any good? <laughs> you know? I think and I think it could That's go both ways. I think it could go both ways. It could go suddenly you want public transport to be good because no one's buying cars anymore because we all work from home. Mm-hmm. Or public transport gets tremendously worse because the only people who are taking public transport are fast food workers or, you know, whatever. The people that can't yeah. Exactly. Right. That's, the people well, without the economic and political kind of power or the the people without, you know, perfect world, they have the same political power. But, you know, because our politics is dominated by money, yeah. the people without the money to make the push to say, Yo, you know, we we need this train. Like, I need this bus, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I think you're seeing the interesting thing is about this about this event, too, is that you are seeing that come to the forefront. And I think that that is also one of the things that triggers um, social unrest besides acute events, such as, you know, open acts of like what we witnessed with, you know, the horror of police brutality. It's also sort of like, again, you're starting to see like the people that are being most affected by, um, by COVID African-Americans people working in, or that are working in cities that have to physically go to a job and are not provided PPE. So they're underrepresented by unions, right? Um, other things that are kind of like these, all of the stuff that keeps coming up, I feel like that is, you know, again, like you you could imagine like if the scenario you just played out with, uh, with, sort of the infrastructure that supports people getting from one place to another or supports um, sort of the structure that allows people of different incomes and people, you know, like you were saying, sort of different social stratas to be able to, to, to maintain work and to, and to maintain their lives, that that starts to erode. That to me would cause more unrest. Right. Because, again, it's like you're starting to see all of these things, all of these big fractures in our system that are that are clearly inequitable really come to the forefront really quickly. Yeah. But, you know, though, I but that's part of it that I think, again, is kind of a. If people no longer need to commute to work, why would anyone want to live in a city? There you go. Well, that could you know be what I mean, it. like that's 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 the thing I'm wondering. I'm kind of I'm really wondering, I guess I wonder what the and and I. I think I I read something about this. I, I can't remember if it was people like the difference between people who had the money and ability to like flee the cities during COVID yep. and the people who were stuck there, you know? And that's and so it's again social economics, right? It like, is. And but that's the but that's the part that I wonder about is like you are hinting at here. Mm-hmm. If this as this does lead to more civil unrest, I don't think there's any question that it has. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. But as it does certainly helped as it gets worse, which Uh I think it will inevitably do. Oh yeah. um, Oh yeah. I wonder if the response isn't what it's been this almost the entire time, which is, well, that's not my community. So who cares? I think it could go that way. I think it was starting to go that way. But I, but I think, but I think that I, well, let me rephrase though too quickly. Sorry. I, I do think though that social, that's one that's been like the one good thing about social media existing. It seems like mm-hmm. is suddenly everyone can see when these things happen mm-hmm. and it stops mm-hmm. being a question of mm-hmm. like, Oh, well, you know, you know, it's like, that's clear. Right. <laughs> that's plain. Right. It's plain in front of you. You can't, you know what I mean? So it, I think it's a, it's interesting. Well, I think it could go that way. Like, why do I care about these? Are, this isn't my community. These aren't my people. So why should I care? I think you saw you started to see that a little bit earlier with like New York, 
um, I heard a lot of, I think a lot, there was a lot of rhetoric around there. Well, it's like, this isn't New York. We don't have to do this because we're not New York. You know, this state or this state, you, you heard some local governors and some, um, some other officials saying kind of that really heated rhetoric, like, we're not that big city, but we don't have their problems. However, I think the, the thing with a pandemic is it doesn't care. <laughs> you know, if you, if, you do not, if you do not eradicate it, it will, it will eradicate you. It will find you. It will, and that's what we're starting to see now, again, with the, this tremendous uptick in states that it wasn't, cons- it wasn't considered a quote-unquote problem. It wasn't our problem. You're starting to see it, and you're starting to see sort of, again, the, the officials and the governors that, that had this one take that it only affected a certain population or a certain type of people or a certain place starting to say, like, we have to do something. Because all of a sudden it is our problem. And so I think that that may be the equalizer in some ways. And I think also it was a incendiary device to a powder keg that was already going to go off with, um, with the issues surrounding Black Lives Matter. So I think that that in some ways just amplified the effect, but also brought it to our attention, to my attention, to like to people who maybe weren't paying as much attention as they should to it and understanding it to the extent that should. And it sort of also began making you question and rethink and reevaluate a lot of stuff. So I think in some ways that's, a, I don't want to say it's a positive effect, but it's, it's a necessary effect. Well, so yeah, that's good. I mean, it's good that we're questioning and talking about it and starting to have those dialogues. I think my concern is, man, this shit show is far from over. Like it's going to get worse. Yeah. It, fe- it, it really does feel. <laughs> oh no, it's gonna, no, it's it, gonna. it does. It, it is. It absolutely is. No, I mean, <sighs> you know, that's one thing that's really interesting, right? So for listeners that didn't know or, or don't know, I don't know if, I don't know. I'm sure most people know this already, but so I lived in, I was in, I, I lived outside of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Actually. So technically I lived outside of St. Paul, which they're like right next to each other. And since I'm not from there, I have no big shoe in the game between like which city is which, which <laughs> infuriates the people of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, but so I lived for a long for a while. We lived in downtown St. Paul um, in an area called well, not really downtown St. Paul, like right near downtown called in an area called Miriam Park, um, which is really nice. And then we lived in um, and then we lived in in Shoreview, Minnesota. Um, so we were sort of what the weird thing about Minnesota, the weird thing about, I'd say like Minneapolis, St. Paul that we found, um, was how, how oddly stratified it was. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean is, like you would have one street that was full of million dollar mansions and homes. And then the next street was like, you know, was rough, was dangerous, you know, or it looked dangerous. It looked terrible. It looked, it, it looked and felt like you were in an area that was not great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And you'd have those disparities constantly. And so you'd have, you know, on, and it was literally like on the side of the train tracks. You know what I mean? It was like you had the good side of the train tracks and then you'd cross over and it would be the quote unquote bad side of the train tracks. And everyone just kind of seemed to like accept that that was the case that like, oh, look, we live with such opulence and on this side of the train tracks is such abject poverty, you know? Um, And it was crazy. Like, and I, I grew up in New York. I've seen homelessness and poverty. I have lived in poverty myself as a child. Like, I'm, you know, it's, but seeing it so bare out there, you know, mm-hmm. was yeah. pretty, it was, it's pretty intense. It was pretty intense every other day, you know? Um, it was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And that it's kind of that way across the entire Twin Cities, it seemed like, to me at least, as an outsider, was you would have, um, even, even in Shoreview, which is like a suburb outside, we lived in... We lived in Little Canada, technically, 
um, which I guess is supposed to be not a super nice part of, of that area. But then on the other side of the, of a road was Vadness Heights, which again is like million dollar homes, hmm. you know, like hundred yeah. million dollar homes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, you, so at the same lake that you'd go fishing, there'd be a guy in like a brand new, you know, uh, Rolls Royce or whatever. And then there's a guy putting up from his, you know, from his trailer park with, uh, I don't know, 91 Jeep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the disparity was really significant. Yeah. It was really, and, yeah. You know, so that, that like income inequality uh-huh. just generally, I think breeds a lot of discord regardless of kind of the racial issues. But then when you add on top of it, the racial issues that do clearly exist, it's, it's just a powder keg for stuff. You know, it's just, it's going to happen. Things are going to go wrong, you know? Yeah. And the, and the Minnesota police just statistically were not very good. You know, um, they had like, a, they were, they were just not good. They were not good at their jobs. You know, it's, it seems like just overall and whatever the reason is for that. Um, you know, I think I saw something that was like a 30% closure case on murders or something crazy. Like that's nuts, you know? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. I, I think like I'm borrowing it from Kara Swisher who hosts the podcast pivot with, uh, with, um, Scott Galloway. And she, she was the one that predicted or earlier. I thought early on that I hadn't even considered it in talking about COVID and the pandemic. She's like the next big thing that happens is, is you know, distinct social unrest. There's going to be events that are really kind of large and that are going to change, change a lot. And I was like, what? Seriously? Huh? Didn't really think about that. And, you know, looking at it sort of on a, on a philosophical intellectual, you're like, man, I can kind of see that. And then all of a sudden that, you know, this happens and you're like, Oh damn. Well, it's, it's, you one know, of those, there's yeah. a whole difference between like sort of the, the, the intellectual energy, you know, philosophical exercise and real life. And it's like, that to me was, that to me was the, um, sort of also the wake up call of it. It's not just about like, I, I think that personally for me, the thing that was, uh, really important was to understand, like, if, if I look at myself and I think about myself, I don't think I'm racist. However, I I am racist because I exist in a in a uh, in a in a world that that uh, that in a world that validates who I am as a white woman in sort of a systemic racist world. Well, you all, yeah, you know and, what I mean. Like, yeah, and you, I don't well, you, like to think like, oh, I have certain views of of minorities and stereotypes and but at the same time I don't exist outside of that vacuum and that was the hard check it's like I can't exclude myself from the problem and I can't I can't be like oh teach me about this because I don't know it's like no I have to I have to learn about it I have to understand it and I have to change well you know what I think though too you get I mean your brain the human brain is set up to do the human brain is lazy shit where <laughs> the brain is super lazy no really though with the brain is super lazy and so you are kind of ingrained no, your brain is super lazy <laughs> you're, you're, you're ingrained with these kind of tricks or whatever that um that make in in a previous time when mm-hmm. we were and we're you know we're really not we have not evolved at all since we were cavemen you know, Clearly, yeah. we have no, but, but really <laughs> though, like just, yeah. just in terms of like how long it science, takes. Yeah. yeah. Just in terms of science, right. We have not, science, yeah. if you shit, you know, you, if you found a caveman and you gave him a hat and a skateboard, he'd be me. You know what I mean? Like we're even as hairy as each other. So, you know, there's like no, um, who am I kidding? I haven't been able to ride a skateboard in five years, Marie. Uh, I was going to give um, you the benefit of the doubt. No, I wasn't going to say anything. No, no, no. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I can't get my fat ass on a skateboard anymore. Um, but the, um, you know, so in, in previous times where those kinds of like prejudicial jumps to belief or whatever would have maybe been useful for us mm-hmm. um, in today's world where we don't need those anymore, just like any other kind of, you know, um, any other kind of fight or flight response or other kind of uncomfortable response that you have mm-hmm. can turn into something you need to work on. You know what I mean? Um it's the same thing with this, you know, it, it's, 
it seems kind of obvious that I don't know, everyone is everyone is racist in some way. You know what I mean? And it's not it's not like a yeah. negative it's not I think the problem is that there's sort of there's sort of that difference between overt racism and we're two white people talking about this, so what the fuck do we know? Oh. You know, at the end of the day, really, I mean, we can speak from our own experience and we know we have to change. Like, I think that that's the thing you have to right, kind of have to come down you, to. You, you know what I'm saying? We like, don't know the effects of it. Like, I know I have to be more aware of the of the effects that I cause and add to. Well, you know, and but here's here's the thing, though, right? I know mm-hmm. I know from growing up that when I. I, I, I can't say fully either way that, you know, how to change things or whatever. But I, I know at least that being viewed as, say, let's take something that everyone can kind of experience in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is appearing um, poor versus appearing rich, right? People right. treat you differently. Yes. You know, there's no, yes. there's no question, right? Yes. Um, so why wouldn't you think that they would treat you differently in other cases, right? If you appeared like what they think a criminal looks like. Right. For, or if you appeared what they think a um, a Nobel laureate looks like, or if you appear what they think a, I don't know, a train conductor looks like, whatever, you know? Right. Your brain is lazy and it makes those jumps. And so it's not, it's not hard to think that maybe that's the view you have, you know? I don't think I ever, I don't think I personally ever recognized, I guess, sort of, how weird it was growing up in New York or not really weird, but how many other kinds of cultures I was exposed to. And, and even just how that changed my opinion of people Mm -hmm. until I got to college in New Hampshire Mm -hmm. where suddenly like I had never, uh, I had never met, uh, like I'd never met really a native American person before. Right. And then you get to school or I got to school and suddenly people were talking about, you know, there were these, again, kind of like racist, racist stereotypes of Native Americans, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's that's so weird. Like, I never would have expected any of that because I, I hadn't grown up, grown up with that as a right. thing. You haven't been right? exposed. That was ingrained, right? right? right. right. Um, so it's, it's just a thing your brain does. Yeah, no, you I, need to be better about it. Just don't be shitty about it. You know what I mean? Everyone's brain is shitty like that. Just don't do it. Just, just be fucking better. Well, I think I do think I think the thing that's really hard too is that we are still uh, rewarded for privilege, and it, that, and again on a on a on a um, sort of a subconscious basis, that's hard to that's hard to break and hard to perceive as well. Like, I just go back to that video that was taken a while back of the of uh, the African American bird watcher in Central Park. Right. And the woman who had her dog off of the leash when clearly it was a leashed area. And so he just asked her to put the dog back on the leash. And she basically threatened to call the cops on him to say that he was menacing her, knowing full well what that dynamic was, knowing full well what that power looked like and using it. And I think to me that was like, that was sort of this low point of insidiousness. And I was like, you immediately start to think to yourself, well, I would never do that. I'm not that person. But the thing is, is that you are that person because that's, you know, in, you're not in a vacuum. Like you have that as a white woman, I have that privilege. I have that. I've been sort of systematically um, exposed to that. And there's, it's very, what you have to do is you have to like, to me, it's like just knowing that and being like how that's, how that is completely effed up and how do you start to, how do you start to address it? And how do you start to try and un, unwind it is at least like a, a consider, you know, is like at least the first consideration that I started to think about and just having that space to think about. It. Cause it's like immediately you're like, well, I'm not racist. I wouldn't, I don't view them. I've never used the N word. I've never done this, but that's not just, that's to your point. That's like this sort of overt, that's this overt racism. That doesn't mean that there's not other ways that it affects, that it, it affects you and that you are affected by it or yeah. propagating it. I, should I say think, too. well, I think the challenge too, and I, so I can kind of understand to some extent 
some of, I think the, like I, I grew up. So when I was growing up, my mom and my dad got divorced and my mom, I kind of went to my mom's house. Like it was like vacations. Almost. I mostly spent time at my dad's house and my dad was dirt poor. You know what I mean? Like my, my, my family growing up was extremely poor and I was lucky cause I had my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I could go to my mom's house for like a, you know, a weekend or whatever and like pretend like I wasn't living in shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm-hmm. But like, but mm-hmm. for the most part it was, we were living super poor. Right. And, um, so I can, I can kind of understand from a poor, if you're, if you're a guy or if you're a kid who grew up on, if you're a kid who grew up in like, you know, subsidized housing, mm-hmm. right. A white guy who grew up in subsidized housing mm-hmm. who, you know, um, didn't have the kind of opportunities that other kids really had and had to work super hard to get everything. And, all that other shit that comes with being poor. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you get older and you kind of succeed for yourself and everything else, and someone tells you, well, you, you got that because you were benefited in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you, you mm-hmm. got advantages that other kids didn't have. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to be defensive and, and think to yourself like, well, I didn't get any, I did not have any privileges. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. did not get any help, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's easy to feel defensive and be that way. And I think that that's what's happening for a lot of people is they're thinking yeah. like, no. And so for me, for me, at least I would like the argument to become, and I think it's something that black lives matter has been good about mm-hmm. more um, is turning it into more of an economic argument too. Cause I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get people on, on your side necessarily by saying, like we all have privilege. We all have that. And if you are, you know, being a, being a kid who grew up poor, who had like friends from other races and stuff, mm-hmm. um, they're, they were treated differently. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's not, yeah. a, that's not in question at all, you know? Um, but the difference I think, or I wonder if part of the argument shouldn't be an economic one as well. And I, I think well, they've I done, think and I think they've done a good two. job. Yeah. I think they've got, they've done a really good job or that's, that's become part of the conversation in a different way than it, it was before. Yeah. I think it's I think important. I think it's important to evaluate and see each of those things, right? Like your, your, your gender, your sex, your race, your economic, like each of those things have carry its own privilege and its own baggage. And how does that affect sort of the systems that you're working in. I think you have to evaluate that. Like, I think it's, 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 to your point, those things, they all intersect. You can't take one out and just be able to to say, you're going to solve the problem by just solving that one thing. It's a web of, you know, it's like, it's a uh, symbiotic system. One thing that has been really, Katie just texted me, close the umbrella, LOL. Because of the thunderstorm that we're now having here in Waltham. Um, one thing that's been interesting, I think, in all of this COVID stuff, too, besides like kind of the supply chain issues that we've been talking about, yeah. is the challenge of people feeling like science becoming politicized. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, for me at least, as if you've listened to this show, you know, science is political. Science has always been political in all of the episodes we've ever done going back to kind of the very first, you know, the first ones. Yes. We've talked about how scientists are are interacted and interact with the world around them. Obviously they are affected by the things that go on in their societies. Um, Funding from political institutions really significantly affects what they're able to do or what they can't do. So this idea that like suddenly with COVID science has become really political in my mind, it's kind of a silly, it's like a short sighted view of history, but at the same, but at the same time, but at the same time, yeah, let me, let me finish that thought at the same time though. No, it's all good. At the same time, it science has become, I, I don't know if science itself necessarily has become. So if we look at like, say the last, hundred years, right? There have been different points or let's say the last 200 years. Maybe there have been points where science has been on the side of different parts of the political spectrum. And even on some, even on similar issues, 
Mm-hmm. So if we look at, say, um, let, let's let's look at, for instance, uh, sustainability and energy, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the very beginning, um, energy development probably would not have occurred at all. The technology to develop energy wouldn't occur, wouldn't have occurred if, at all, if not for the support of sort of the aristocratic wings of the different political parties, right? The rich people who wanted to make themselves richer based on you know, getting oil and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. energy production and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about, like, the way that science interacts with the world or the way that technology interacts with the world through engineering, it's almost necessarily political because, you know, how else do you get if, – if, you know, let's put it this way, right? If it weren't for the interstate highway system, would cars be as ubiquitous as they are today? Probably not, Right. Um, without the development of gas pipelines, um, would again would would air travel be possible because of the transport the easy transport of fuel? Probably not. Um, would without government regulation and help in getting uh, internet and wiring and infrastructure built for telecommunications, would we have the internet today? Probably not. You know what I mean? So it's and that's that's outside of even just the idea of like government funding stuff because it would make a good weapon and then it later turning into like Velcro or whatever, you know? Um, Which would make a good weapon. Which wouldn't, would not make a great weapon. So it's, (laughs) so it's one of those weird things where it's kind of a short-sighted, I think, view of, of history to say that science has always been on the side of say the liberal, you know, the liberal side or the conservative side or whatever, right? Like science Mm -hmm. is kind of, um, Science just needs money, you know, and support. So science has always kind of just been like a mercenary. Now there are some, there are some scientific fields that have always kind of been leaning one way or the other, you know? So oil and gas, which requires a lot of capital investment and everything else tends towards the um, kind of oligarch class, mm-hmm. you know, whereas mm-hmm. sustainability and environmentalism and whatever tends towards like the granola class. Right. And that tends to be associated with like liberalism, but, but not always mm-hmm. right. Teddy Roosevelt was a huge naturalist, was a, was a big proponent of was, um, yes. you know, so, so I think like science is always political. What's been different today mm-hmm. is that one side has so powerfully turned against science and, and kind of in kind of in, in in almost a reactionary way, even in things that would be good for them, which doesn't make sense. Well, I think the difference I see between the two, because I agree with you, like science, it is it 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 has it has political like all the political variability that you're talking about. I think what happened now, or one of the differences, is that all of a sudden it directly affects the individual, right? So you went from something that if I'm, if I'm just, you know, Joe, everybody, I may not understand how uh, the oil industry works and where it gets its funding from, but I do, I do know um, that I have to wear a mask and how does that make me feel? Or like, I do know I have to stay inside and, and how is that how does that affect me? So I think it's almost like it all of a sudden has come down to this like microcosm of, of affecting directly affecting the individual really quickly, which I think before was a little bit more intangible. And I think when you can, when you can say like, again, just taking the the whole mask argument, like you have to wear a mask or the best way to prevent this virus from spreading is wearing a mask then you can leverage that individual many different ways or incite that individual in different ways, right? It's a civil liberties argument. It's like, it's, you know, um, it's a science argument. It can, you have more control over that. Yeah, I think. Good or bad. To I, your point, and what's happening now is not great. No, and I, I, I agree with you there that it's kind of a more, um, because it feels more personal, right? It yes. feels like that. Yeah. I also, though, wonder, at least personally, and, you know, listeners know we're pretty, I mean, Marie and I are both uh, irreligious, right? Eh. We're not necessarily anti-religion, no. I would argue. No. But we're not, like, you know, we're not evangelical, 
right? We're in any, not in any in any in any way, evangelical, atheist, or Christian, or Buddhist, or any of the other yeah. any of them, right? Yes. Um, the, I wonder how the Satanists are doing during this. Probably time. doing terribly. Right. I mean, I wonder how um, really the Satanists. Are no, doing. they're probably doing. Shout fine. out Satanists. Can't have big. Can't have big orgies. I, know. I guess. Well, actually, the masks might make it fun. Kind of a mystery. Um, I recognize that mole. Anyways, the the challenge I think, the challenge I think with today's kind of scientific politicization, politicization Mm -hmm. is, it again, it's kind of nonsensical, and I wonder Mm -hmm. if I wonder how much of that is driven by, sort of a knee jerk, distrust of science that's been kind of bred through. Through frankly evangelical religious dogma, you know, absolutely. So starting absolutely. starting from the starting from being anti evolution, right, all the way up to, and it's not, and you know, conservative um, presidents have not always been bad on science. You know, no. Reagan was was relatively good, I would say, for science. Uh-huh. Um, I want to say Nixon. Nixon was was very good on on science I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. Um but you know it's it's kind of an interesting um I'd say honestly most presidents have been pretty good on science. You know, it's hard it's like hard to find a president who was like really bad, you know? But I think the first one who was really bad on it was George W. Bush. Right. Um because he was anti uh stem cell research. And so that and it kind of began and so I wonder I wonder what part of this anti-science thing is a concerted it's I, I kind of wonder if it's not like the it's like you create a monster and then it gets out of control you know so you much, so yeah. you know Exxon Mobil and these other oil companies start in the 80s and kind of you know uh, early 90s arguing that climate change is is fake it's not a real thing you know whatever but primarily they're arguing that so that they can get their ducks in the ro- in a row to kind of corner the market on sustainable energy development, you know? Right. And then when they're finally like, no, it actually is real. The monster they helped create and funded is still arguing against them. And so now they're like, yeah. they're not only fighting people who were like, you lied that whole time. They're also fighting people they used to help who are like, wow, you got bought by China, you know? <laughs> so it's like a weird, it's a really weird situation where you have, yeah. You have kind of science, um, science, which is always political, but is held up to this paragon of, of, you know, whatever. Um, and you have one side that kind of seems to like to fight it. The other thing, too, I wonder is science almost seems necessarily to be a global endeavor. Yes. It's sort of like it necessitates 100%. it's necessitates globalism kind yes. of. Yes. Um, or at least the way that it works now necessitates yes. globalism. And. It should necessitate globalism. I mean, it should be a global effort. Yeah, but and, right. and that's because some of the questions are so big that like you yeah. need other countries to help you, right? Um, and I think part of like nationalism has also gotten drug up into all of this, where it's like, yes. well, I don't want China getting my science secrets, and it's like, well, then we don't get their science secrets, <laughs> considering know? they're the ones that gave us the uh, the the genome. Right. The, the whole sign, the whole yeah. um, for COVID. Yeah. And it and it kind of which we I wouldn't think, have had. And I think things like this and, um, you know, the the uh, what's the word? Things like this with like pandemics and the, you know, um, just right around the corner, alien invasion and disclosure. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's things like that. And again, we didn't get, we, we got Marxism and we got some aliens. Yeah, we did both. You're welcome. Bingo. uh, In both of those cases, it's a, um, it's a real, like, it's a global challenge. So the whole globe gets involved, but when your country or when, like, part of me wonders, I don't think it's fair necessarily to say that this is like Republicans being bad on science. I think just Trump is just a fucking... Well, yeah, before we get into that, because I agree with you, I also think I also think the advent of the Tea Party and the sort of the social like yes. the, um, the merging. The advent, of, yeah. Yeah. I think the advent of the Tea Party coming into this and saying the the individual liberties like the government can't tell me what to do has been sort of this this 
this ongoing, this growing monster. Because it's not so much science telling you to wear the mask. It's government telling you to wear the mask. And so the government is directly infringing upon your social your social liberties, right? Like well, it's, it's, that nanny state can't tell me what to do. To me, I correlate kind of back to the rise of – so some of the rise of nationalism, but also a lot of the Tea Party, right? That That individual sort of – I don't know. Again, this very much – I'm going to say it is. It's very entitled. It's a very entitled privilege. Like, I don't have a responsibility. I have a self-responsibility. I got to take care of myself. I don't have, I don't have some, some government, some big government mandating what is the best for, for me. I know what's best for yeah, me. You know, it just like, just like people say, you know, there's no atheist in foxholes. There's no mm-hmm. uh, libertarians on, there's no libertarians begging the government to let them pay for their own ventilator. You know, right. it's like a stupid, right. it's such a silly, um, right. and like, you know what? And right. again, where is um, that now, man? Where's that now? It's, it's, it's coming those, back. Cause now people don't want to wear masks over my dead body. I'll, I'll, I'll wear a mask. It's like, but okay, what does it, but what doesn't make sense? Is it, do you get to argue against the nanny state when it's your own nanny state? <laughs> like, you know, Trump is in these news conferences and people are like, are you going to wear a mask? And he's like, no, why? Cause those fucking nerds told me to. I don't even like those nerds. I just have to pay. I just have to play nice with them on TV. You know, it's like you have the entire kind of like Republican um, apparatus apparatus administration being like, please shut up. Like, please stop. Please stop. You are irreparably harming us and our brand. And he's like, I don't care. You know, which is kind of refreshing, but also terrifying. It is. It's what's so scary about it is it's like, um, it is the one thing that the Republicans can't fight, right? Because you can't say, if I ignore it long enough, if I ignore wearing a mask long enough, this whole thing will go away, which I think is what they were hoping, right? I think we've got it and it's solved. It's summertime. We're done with this. Like, they kind of made this conscious effort to be done with it. And it's like, it's a pandemic, it's not managed. It doesn't, it doesn't have, it doesn't wear down. Like it's not a war of attrition against the pandemic. The pandemic's going to win. Oh yeah. And at, at the it's going to win the war of attrition. And that's why I don't think they got like any other, any other, um, any other sort of topic or person or adversary they put up against Trump or they put up against the current Republican party. They just sort of wear them down. Right. They, it's a, it's like the 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 rock in the river will be worn down to a smooth stone. And it, but this is like that's that's not going to happen. It's not the same thing. And I don't think I don't I think they're finally getting it and they're finally like they're finally starting to freak out a little bit like we can't he's not he's not the leader that you know we he'd be great if this was just some sort of Hillary Clinton that we could just kind of belittle and ignore. But um you know, we can't have rallies. We can't have, you know, we can't argue personal liberties. We can't like, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to keep coming. Yeah. I, so I got I, No, I was going to say in the, you know, the other thing though, that I think is going to be frustrating or, or will be frustrating mm-hmm. or could be frustrating is also, you know, when The each the political sides are only good on science when it benefits when it benefits them, yes. right? Yes. And so you know, look at look at like nuclear energy, right? Yes. Nuclear energy um, would have probably kept us out of the Middle East. Um, would have stopped climate change likely, mm-hmm. or at least would mm-hmm. would have significantly slowed it. Mm-hmm. Um, would have made energy cheaper, more easily available, mm-hmm. and is 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 quite safe. Right. But mm-hmm. um, the other side to the ones who were lambasting right now said it wasn't safe enough. It was bad for the environment. It was, you know, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it really it's a really interesting thing that um, it's it's one of those questions, I think, that scientists are constantly asking themselves, which is, well, how do we get a fair. Like science kind of doesn't it's part of the reason we did the show was it's like. Mm-hmm. Science won't ever be told the way that it it should be or could be if it's non scientists telling people about it, you know. And we love spooky stuff. That's the other. We reason. do love spooky stuff too, Marie. We're gonna get killed in the comments for this episode. Are you? You think? I'm so excited for it. 
That, okay. that's, dear listeners, that's it. We're so happy. Oh, come on. We're I'll so happy. What, we're going to gonna end. You. Let's let's end with one. Let's end with just kind of where we are with Animal Crossing. How's that? Nice neutral. We can we can finish on <laughs> Animal Crossing. Let's finish on Animal Crossing. Uh, on good news, I did really well on the bug off yesterday. Me too. And oh my god! And I was telling Chris, um, we have a new island villager. He is a. I th- it's a she. It's a. He or she doesn't matter. Its name is Sydney. It's a koala, and it sings. It's yeah. outside singing in this little non-melodic tune, and it's pretty, just. It just adorable. warms my heart. Pretty adorable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you put a radio down uh-huh. near them and you play the radio, they will sing to the radio song. Are you kidding me? I'm like fairly certain that can happen. I've seen people do compilations of that on YouTube. That's the first time I heard it. I sent Chris a video of it because the first time we heard it, we were like, my daughter and I were playing. We were like, what is that? We're like looking around the house. We're like, what the heck? And we're like, no, it's coming from the game. And we, we see this little like koala and the koala is going, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 beep. And I'm like, oh my God. So cute. Oh, good times. Dear listeners. No, it's great. I'm actually playing a game right now called Man Eater where you get to play as a shark. And like eat humans. It's awesome. Oh my um, God. It's really been, it's nice when I see videos of people on the beach without uh-huh. masks on and I'm like, I'm going to be a fucking shark. It's great. <laughs> um, spread disease in my country, will ya? Anyways, dear listeners, we'll be back next week with another episode on time travel. Oh, you guys wear a mask. Wash, wear a mask, please. wash, your, wash your hands. Wash Stay your safe. Face. We love you wash all. Wash your hands. We love you all. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. Because we love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woo-hoo. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon